0: Rev it up and welcome to Cars Yeah! Show number 1,671. Today we're talking about Nissan Z cars, those old Datsun Z cars, and everything Z. Stay buckled up. This is Cars Yeah! Where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah! Hello, inspiring automotive enthusiasts, and welcome to Cars Yeah! Today I am in Villa Park, California, not too far from Disneyland, actually, with a very special guest by the name of Pete Evanaw. Pete, welcome to Cars Yeah! Are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? I am indeed. All right. We'll have some fun here today. Now, before I give you a proper introduction, because we're going to be talking about a, a car that's near and dear to my heart, I want you to tell my listeners one little thing that most people may not know about you.
1: Uh, I've lived most of my life overseas. Really? Whereabouts? All yeah. over the place? Uh, I lived in such lovely garden spots like Tehran, Iran. Oh, wow. I lived in parts of Germany, I lived in London, I lived in Peru and Argentina.
0: Now, were you in the service, or were you doing something different? My dad was in uh, the CIA. Oh, wow, a spook. Ah, okay. Wow, very. Big time spook. Very interesting. Well, that must have added a lot to the rounding of your character, because my wife lived in South America for four years. Her father was in the Marine Corps and she said those were some of the best times of her life. She was in high school. She said it was just so much fun. It was different, unique. And even though in South America in the seventies, there was a lot of kind of goofy stuff going on and they had to be kind of careful. They had bodyguards with them all the time and so forth. I would imagine that rounded you out. It gave you a whole new perspective on the world.
1: Well, it gave me a, yeah, it gave me a, a different perspective for sure. And it, it, Gave me a, a more appreciation for people. I'm just grateful that uh, that uh, we have uh, more than what we need in many cases because a lot of these countries were very impoverished. Uh, yeah. Iran, in particular, it, even Peru was at the time I lived there. I like your wife. I uh, I lived in Peru uh, in the mid 70s and I was going to high school then. Yeah, and it was. A time of turmoil. There we uh, we didn't have bodyguards so much, but they did have a curfew. You had couldn't be out after 7 p.m. because there was a lot of things going on. So it was a difficult time. And then we moved from there to Argentina, and uh, it was just it, it gave me a complete understanding of you know how relationships are important and how. You know, you could say something that's not right and it could be misconstrued. So it it helped shape my character in many ways as a a human being and also later on as a manager and dealing with people. You mentioned uh, your experiences dealing with people. And so that really had an impact. And I also spoke Farsi, which is the native language of uh, Iran. And, of course, I can speak uh, Spanish. Uh, I spent, you know, many years down there and then uh, some German and French. So, you know, it it, it was a good... uh, And we saw all of Europe. My mother was a great tour guide. I mean, she loved all that, and we'd take uh, tours of every country. So I saw all of... The Middle East, all of Europe, and all of South America.
0: So. Well, I think it's an important thing for everybody uh, to do, and especially in the United States. Yeah, we have such an abundance here. Both my kids did time when they were in did time. That sounds bad. <laughs> they didn't do time, but they got to spend some time in foreign countries during college, with semesters away, and they both That's came. Great. They both came back with a whole different outlook on people, things, appreciation for the things that they have here. And my son in particular spent some time raising money for uh, world bicycle relief for people who lived in rural Zambia. And so to go there and see people that lived literally in huts with dirt floors and their appreciation for something as simple as a bicycle that enabled them to get to school without being chased by lions or caught by the lions or where their families could take milk to town and make money so they could eat or bring water to their their little hut so they could drink fresh water. He came back here with a a whole different perspective and and mostly gratitude and appreciation for the things that he had. that's wonderful,
1: though. If you can give back uh, in that capacity, that's great. Yeah. I understand that. Yeah, really
0: proud of what he did there. Well, let me give you a proper introduction. We're going to dive into what we're talking about today. Pete has worked in and around the automotive industry for some 30 years. He spent four years with Nissan Motorsports and its Z-Store. He authored the book Z, 35 Years of Nissan Sports Cars, and his newest book is titled Nissan. 50 years of exhilarating performance with a forward by Hiroshi Tamura. Am I saying his name right? Yes, you are. There you go. This Nissan official chronicle of Z history covers from Datsun's planning of the new model in the late 1960s through the latest 50th anniversary, 370Z. This wonderfully illustrated book also covers the car's success, its significance in racing history, including IMSA, SCCA Sports Racing, and it includes the likes of Paul Newman, of course, racing with Bob Sharp and John Morton with Peter Brock at Brock Racing Enterprise. Pete and I are good friends that other Peter that I know and uh, Pete is also a professor in advertising and public relations at California State University Fullerton published by Motorbooks is where this book comes from my good friends at Motorbooks we'll be back in just a minute to talk with Pete of first a word from our value sponsors that make this show possible so sit tight we're talking Z's today we're gonna have some fun we'll be right back Did you know that Covercraft is much more than car covers? They offer protection for the inside of your vehicles as well. No matter what kind of vehicle you drive, Covercraft makes a floor mat, a cargo area protection product just for your vehicle. Their plush, custom-fit floor mats turn any ride into something special. Their premier Berber custom floor mats, which are a favorite of mine if you want something very stylish and unique for your favorite ride. They also have weather shield Floor liners that provide ultimate protection for heavy dirt, mud, snow, and slush. Their Carhartt custom cargo liners not only look great, but keep your rear cargo area and seats protected from the kids, the pets, or whatever's going on back there. Do you have a pet that destroys your vehicles? Covercraft has you covered for that too with a wide variety of pet protection options. Is your vehicle getting a little long in tooth? There's no better way to give it a new car look than with a custom fit floor and trunk mat. I replace mine every few years with something a little different, just for fun. All your options are easy to clean, they secure to the floor, and they look oh so good. Don't forget your trunk, too. Custom-fit trunk liners for sedans, coupes, and SUVs are perfect to protect the factory carpet from all those things that can stain, tear, and damage your carpets. Check out Covercraft.com for the huge number of styles, colors, and options that you'll love. And I've got a deal for you here at Cars Yeah! If you use the Yeah! 120 code at Covercraft.com, you'll get 10% off your Covercraft order on me. Go to covercraft.com, use the code YEAH120 at checkout and get 10% off today. Covercraft, they've got you covered. American Collector's Insurance. That's who now protects my Porsche Turbo, the one I call my Orange Crush. They've been protecting vehicles since 1976. With all the time, effort, and money you've put into your classic vehicles, do you know how much you would receive if yours was stolen? Damaged or totaled in an accident or a fire? Your regular auto insurance carriers won't tell you until after the claim and more than likely you'll be in for a rude awakening. With an agreed value policy from American Collector's Insurance, you'll be paid your vehicle's full agreed value. No surprises. So don't just hope for a fair claim settlement. Be certain and know exactly what you'll get with an agreed value policy. I shopped around and decided to protect my car with American Collector's Insurance. Give them a call today for a quote at 866 aci Yeah, that's 866 866- Two two four nine three two four, and protect the ones you love. Tell them Mark Green at Cars, yeah, I sent you. That's American Collectors Insurance, classic car insurance designed by collectors for collectors, folks just like you and me. All right, Pete, we are back, and before we dive into this book that you put together, I would love for you to share a success quote or a mantra, some kind of saying that's been instrumental in your life i say it's a nice way to get the wheels spinning here on cars yeah so grab the wheel my friend
1: okay i've got two quotes for you great so the first one is he who feared he would not succeed sat still and the reason i i use that is that if you don't pursue your goals or your passions or your interests you're not going to live a full life and um, i have always always wanted to be a writer and and that started when I was a newspaper editor in high school and just continued through college and and throughout my career, and I've used writing as a, not only a tool but as a passion in my career and now I teach it and I've been very fortunate to have worked with motorbooks uh, in creating these two books uh, on on behalf of of Z owners or you know to to promote the Z but uh, it's really important to me. Uh, to, to follow your passion. I've also started uh, two businesses. One failed and one didn't, and one worked uh, for many years. And so if you don't do anything, if you don't pursue those goals, you're going to be frustrated, in my personal opinion. Uh, the second quote is, he who has ears, let him understand how to listen. And that applies not only to you, Mark, but to anybody who's kind of in the business. And I started my career as a reporter. And I learned how to listen to people very quickly because, you know, you took their words and their story and you turned it into a story that other people wanted to know about. And that has carried me through life as well and being a good listener. And it's also made me a good manager of people uh, listening to them and um, and helping them carve their careers and now as a professor it's uh, also you know you have to be a good listener to uh, to my students and you know I, I chose that quote partly to honor you because of what you're doing uh, with your career and what you have done in following your, not only your passion but uh, but being a good listener of all the 1600 plus uh, interviews that you have had so i think that's a, a good quote
0: Well, thank you for that. That's very kind of you to say that. For me, this is fun. I get to hear all sorts of great stories. I always tell people, what I do is like Forrest Gump's box of chocolates. I never know what I'm going to get, but it's always pretty tasty, and it's always pretty enjoyable, and you're right. It's amazing what you can learn when you simply close your mouth and listen, keep your eyes open, your ears open, you know, that old saying about crossing the streets, you don't get hit by a car that our parents taught us about uh, first, uh, how'd that go? Let's see. First, look and listen before you cross the street. Use your eyes, use your ears before you use your feet. There, I got it. (laughs) There you go. That was the one. And I like your first one as well. Uh, It reminds me of a quote, a friend of mine, when I lived in Southern California, I surfed. I grew up surfing and I kind of stopped for a while. And my wife and I bought our first home and the next door neighbors turned out to be the high school prom queen from my high school. (laughs) And her husband was a very physically active guy. He was a doctor, a young doctor, and he played rugby, but he loved to surf. So he got me back into surfing. And there was one day we were out at a a break in San Diego that's actually La Jolla, where I grew up. That's kind of a big, and it was kind of a big day. It was a little intimidating, called Black's Beach. And the waves can get very big there. And I was kind of, we were paddling out. I'm going, oh, man, this is a big day at Blacks. And if anyone knows about surfing at Blacks, you got to be a little careful out there because it can in a big day, it can wallop you. And I turned to take off on a wave that was particularly large, and I backed off. And I turned around, and he was there, and I said, ah, I should have taken that. And he looked at me, and I'll never forget it. I, I'm still sharing it today. This was 20 years ago. He said, shoulda, coulda, woulda words of a loser, and he splashed me in the face with water. And the rest of the day, I'm proud to say I took off on every wave. I got walloped pretty good, but you're right. You can't sit back. You got to get out there and do things. I commend you for what you're doing, and I want to talk about this book because I've got a copy of it here sitting in front of me. It's very cool. It's got the uh, old original Z, the orange car. So tell me, what is it about Nissan and the Z that inspired you to write these two books, but in particular, the newest one. And tell us uh, a little bit about this journey you took on going back and walking people through the history of the car. Because I sat down last night and enjoyed going through the pages and I went, whoa, there's some stuff here I didn't know.
1: I I love history. And so that was the first uh, the first incentive more than anything. But, um, you know, my time at Nissan was was very eventful and very enjoyable the Z-Store, which is the, the company or the division or the operation that basically managed the restoration of the Zs, was put in place uh, immediately after Nissan announced the, the end of production, at least here, in the, or the end of import, uh, importation of the 300ZX. And they wanted to keep the Z name alive for various reasons. The two most uh, prominent reasons were that they always knew that another Z would come at some point, but Nissan was at that time financially – Struggling
0: a bit. Struggling, yeah, Yeah. that's a great word. Financially
1: struggling. So they they were under the gun to, to, to cut as many costs, and the Z was not selling as well at that time. So they cut it, but they wanted to build a bridge to the next car whenever that would occur. The second thing was they also wanted to protect the Z trademark. Um, There are several other manufacturers who use the Z name in a car. And one uh, particular company manufacturer uh, was trying to get the Z trademark away from Nissan, saying that Nissan no longer had a car for sale in the United States. So this was a way, the Z store was a way to keep the Z name alive. And it also justified the fact that Nissan says, we're still building Z cars here in the United States, and that was through this restoration program. And I was tapped to lead it and was very honored to do so. And I was very familiar with restoring cars, not Zs necessarily, but other cars. And so I ran the program. It was very ambitious to begin with. I mean, the goal was to build something like 30 cars a month. Uh, and it just, you just can't do that. You can't restore these cars that quickly. They, every one of them had to be done. By hand, we had at one time probably 18 cars and body shops all around Southern California. And, um, you know, it was just difficult to maintain. Uh, a, we only had a skeleton crew on this. And, and so the body shops, many of them work at their own pace, so to speak. So I'm kind of whipping yeah. everybody into a frenzy to try to get these cars out of the body shop, out of the, you know, they they all sat on um, uh, the um, – uh, oh, my gosh. I forgot The rotisseries? The what rotisseries, thank you. <laughs> there you go. Uh, and so we'd ship the rotisseries on flatbeds from place to place. And we had Z, We had Dotson Alley. We had, you know, a couple of less candidate, uh, a couple of people restoring these cars. But it was just, you know, and it, was, it was not like an assembly line. So long story short, we ended up with about 37 cars before Nissan pulled the plug. Mm. and it was just purely a financial reason the cars originally were set to be sold to dealers at $25,000 and I'll be honest with you Mark we lost probably $35,000 on each car I was gonna and
0: say that they, it had to be twice or three times oh, that yeah. cost yeah oh yeah
1: and that's you know that's using parts that we pulled new old stock that we pulled out of the warehouse so I eventually got it up to about $35,000 before the dealers were just screaming at me for raising a 10 grand but You know, we still lost money in every car. But what we gained from that was we had a lot of publicity. Road and Track featured us, Car and Driver, everybody, all the the buff books. And so that was great from that standpoint that we got all that publicity. And I was very proud of our accomplishments. And now, if you look at these cars, if you watch Bring a Trailer or any of these sites, these things are fetching six figures. Yes. You know, and I'm very proud of that, that the fact that Zs are finally getting – the kind of and, and and this is trickling down to not only uh, what they call vintage Zs, the ones that we restored, but any Z that's got a a, a really clean history. And, and is very original. I mean, these cars are f- selling for 110, 120, 130. there was one that sold last year for three hundred and ten thousand dollars. Yeah. I mean, holy cow. Oh, yeah. So you know that that's very gratifying. So uh, and again, to, to get back to your original question, I felt that you know that's a great story to tell. And then all the people who have contributed to the Z and its reputation. I mean, you mentioned Newman and you mentioned Bob Sharp and certainly Peter Brock. And there are just so many people who have been a part of it. I worked for Steve Millen mm-hmm. in the mid '90s, and Steve certainly has a, a, a plays a, a big role in that. And then I worked for Frank Hansowitz in, in Nissan Motorsports, and Frank, of course, ran uh, and his predecessor, Cass Kastner, in Nissan Motorsports. I mean, they they really contributed uh, greatly to Nissan's reputation and the the wins that the Z uh, uh, earned, and then their uh, IMSA program. And it was branded a Z, of course, the GTP-Z. So uh, everywhere we look, the Z has played uh, an important role in terms of Nissan's reputation, its heritage, its legacy. So, you know, it's an important car. And I knew that uh, in interviewing uh, some of the Japanese folks in preparation for the new book, the Z book, that we were assured that there was going to be a new Z. Yeah. Um, even, you know, they started working on it three, four years ago. And so and it finally got the green light. And, and you know, everybody's excited about it. I think the new car is going to be a, a real not only eye catching in terms of appeal, but I think it's going to be a great performance car.
0: You know, I just uh, got my latest copy and it's not sitting in front of me here, but I think it's Road and Track has a picture of the new Z coming out. That's very retro Uh, in its look and feel so I'll be very excited to see that and of course for for uh, you know kids like you and me who remember those back in the 70s when they came out and then the later cars of course I mean it's just one of those legacy type cars and now you see these millennials and XY's coming into being at a point, point in their life where they can actually buy some toy cars or have some fun coming back and of course I believe Randy Ninerberg bring a trailer I think he has his own lime green Z car that sits right in his offices it does yeah. it sits right
1: in his office yeah yeah,
0: right. absolutely so uh, yeah it's great to see them come back I'll make sure I put a link in Pete's show notes page so that you can find and get your hands on a copy of this uh, good friends at Motorbooks of course publish this book they do great work. They brought me so many great people. I always ask my guests about a big challenge or a big failure they've faced. Now, this could be in the writing of the book, the research, or it could be a personal story. Doesn't matter so much. But as you walk us through this, what we really want to learn here, Pete, is what was the lesson learned so that you could come out positive on the other side? So take us on a little Z trip here.
1: Okay. It's not necessarily Z, but it's one where I I followed my passion. So I had, early in my career, I started out in publishing Uh, out of grad school. And I worked for a weekly trade magazine. And uh, I really did well. and I moved my way up the uh, corporate ladder, so to speak. And five years in, I was actually the publisher of the magazine. And I was very proud of that achievement. And I, you know, lived in New York at the time or had lived in New York. And I had just moved to Denver because that was the corporate headquarters. Well, unbeknownst to me, unbeknownst there were four, five other publishers as well of other magazines that this communications company owned. Unbeknownst to us, the president sold the company. He oh. sold it for big, big money. Yeah. And so all five, all six of us who were publishers, senior staff, as well as the senior staff, were boomed out. I mean, in one day. So we were all, you know, uh, victims of a corporate takeover. It was. I was young. I was twenty-eight. You so know, it was kind of. Wow. You know, all of a sudden it hit me like a rock and I'd never experienced anything like this. I thought I was going to spend my career there. Yeah. And boom, I'm out. So um, the what i learned from that was that you pick yourself up, you dust yourself off and you go on down the road. Uh, what I did do is rather than stay in publishing, I said, you know what, Pete, I'm going to follow my passion. My passion was racing and motorsports, not necessarily as a driver, because my talent and I'd already been to a driving school. My talent ran out at turn two. <laughs> so um, instead, I decided I wanted to get on the event or publishing or a production side. Well, uh, fate had it that uh, the Sports Car Club of America was based right there in Denver, in Englewood. Yeah. And so I went over there and interviewed for a marketing manager's position. And um, I had never been in motorsports, but I'd been in sales. I'd been in in marketing to some extent and so they hired me um I actually interviewed with Nick Craw who was the president at the time he and I hit it off uh, we had similar backgrounds not I mean I'm not wealthy like Nick I mean Nick came from money but uh, the thing with uh, Nick was ahead of peace of the peace corps And so, you know, we hit it off because I'd lived overseas. He'd been, you know, spent a lot of his time through uh, his role as the head of the Peace Corps overseas. So we just kind of connected really well right there. And he hired me. And, um, boy, I was just so proud to be a part of SCCA. And I was part of the pro racing department for two years. And in those two years, I ran the Trans Am and the Escort Endurance series and then the, uh, uh, the race truck series that was sponsored by Coors, the, the little mini race trucks. Yeah. Oh yeah. And that was great. And what it did is that it built up immediately a huge network of people, you know, and, and, and motorsports is a very small community. We all kind of, all we do is we change the logos on our jackets, but, uh, uh-huh. to work for another team or for another group, yeah. but we all stay within the sport. Most of us for, for many, many, many years. Yeah. It's a. It was very a great move, and I've always still been appreciative of of Nick to take a risk on me and hiring me. But I, you know, I really did pick myself up, dust myself off, and move on down the road. But you know, I took a pay cut to come to Seca, but I was following my passion, and so. You know, I was just so grateful to do that.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. One door closed, another one opened, and always uh, follow where, where your passion goes, where your love goes, because you'll always be successful there. We're going to take a short break. Can we come back, Pete. I want to ask you a little bit more about your personal passion for cars, how you got into it, maybe some cars in your life. So keep the seatbelts on, and we'll be right back. My favorite collector car magazine is Keith Martin's Sports Car Market. I've been a subscriber for decades. Sports Car Market is the Wall Street Journal for enthusiasts and collectors. It's your monthly must-read. Whether you dream of owning a collector car, maybe you have two, or maybe you've got 200. Sports Car Market has been around for 31 years, and it's filled with valuable articles, intelligent write-ups, and the latest auction sales. Go to sportscarmarket.com and subscribe today. Here's a couple deals I have for you just for listening here on Cars Yeah!, If you use the checkout code CARSYA, you'll receive a 50% discount on your digital subscription at Sports Car Market. That's an exclusive offer from Yeah. And guess what? Here's another deal. If you'd like to get the actual magazine, use the code BSH for buy, sell, hold. That's code BSH, and you'll get $10 off your annual print subscription. That's right, $10 off. Both of these are exclusive offers here at Yeah for Sports Car Market Magazine. Just go to sportscarmarket.com and get your deals today. So what do you do after running a race team for 27 years with over 100 podiums, multiple Daytona wins, and a win at Le Mans? Well, if you're a racer and the Racers Group team owner Kevin Buckler, you found Adobe Road Winery. Located in Petaluma, California, he and his team have created a winning combination with the Racing Series. Four ultra-premium red wine blends that are in a class of their own. Like racing, these wines comprise of art, precision, engineering, science, all wrapped in a whole lot of fun. You can choose from four blends titled Redline, Apex, Shift, and the 24. Today I'm going to talk about the 24. This wine earned 91 plus points from Robert Parker's Wine Advocate. It's a dark, spicy, and velvety blend with ripe blue and black fruits, and very smooth tannins. The label features a three-dimensional full metal chronograph in a bright gold finish that pays homage to the Daytona Rolex winners receive at Le Mans. The racing series is a fantastic gift for the ultimate enthusiast in your life. And I've got a deal for you today. If you use the code CARS, Yeah, all one word, all in caps, when you're at the adoberoadwinery.com checkout, you get $10 off any purchase of wines from the Racing Series. Your wine ships promptly and arrives quickly right at your door. Use the code CARSYEAH at checkout to get $10 off your purchase of the Racing Series today. There's always a seat at the table for excellence with the Racing Series. Go to Adobe Road Wines today and use the code CARSYEAH at checkout. Cheers! All right, Pete, we're back and I'd love for you to share a story that instigated this passion that you have for cars, that pivotal moment in your life. When you knew you were going to be a car guy,
1: uh, it goes back way back, and now we're trickling down sixty plus years to <laughs> when I was about, you know, two. And um, my uncle, uh, my mother's brother, Uncle Bill, uh, who was a passionate car freak himself, uh, he worked for the Bureau of Public Roads, and so he was an engineer. He built bridges all around America. He loved cars, and he loved matchbox cars, and, and and he had two daughters. So he didn't have a son to really share that. And so he gave me my first Matchbox cars and really introduced me to the whole idea of, wow, these, these are wonderful things. And I always hold him up as the person responsible for uh, introducing me to cars. My father, bless his heart, uh, he wasn't really into cars, all that. He drove, are you ready for this? He drove a, what we used to call Renault's. Uh, The old uh, Renault, um, uh, the rear-ended one, the... um... Wasn't it with the
0: Dolphine?
1: Dolphine, sorry, yeah.
0: Well, you know why I know about the Renault Dolphine? Tell me. I raced a 1960 Lotus Formula Junior 18, and the gearbox in that car was out of a Renault Dolphine. (laughs) <laughs> That's why wow. I know. And my parents had a Renault Dolphine. Uh, when I was a little, little kid for a very short time, it, it gave them nothing but trouble and they got rid of it pretty quick. But it was kind of like a weird French Volkswagen bug, right?
1: Yeah. And he had two of them. Two. I mean, I never, <laughs> He had two of them. I mean, he, saw, he came home one night and he says, I sold a Renault and, and we called him Renaults back then because we weren't yeah. French. Yeah. But we he, he called we well, hadn't been to France yet. But he's my my mom I remember going, Oh, thank goodness you sold it. She said, What'd well, you get instead? He goes another one, <laughs> <laughs> and I remember that we lived on a hill, and he parked the car so that when he started it, it would roll downhill, so he could dump the clutch to yeah, get it started. He
0: could bump start it. Yeah. Well, that's so you yeah. know.
1: But uh, so he was didn't know much about it, but he did get he loved rear engine cars because he bought a a, a Corvair after that. So oh. I mean, the man just had a certain fixation. But uh, my uncle really introduced me to. Uh, to motorsports or to cars and then it just kind of moved on from there and then living overseas there wasn't a whole lot to you know you couldn't watch races or anything so i subscribed to all the car magazines it's, yeah. you know from starting from age 10 probably i got subscriptions to all the big four you know and and and, sure. and uh and certainly, that started everything from there, and it's been a long, <laughs> a long, uh, fun, long road journey. Since.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Journey. What was the uh, first really special car that you actually owned?
1: Uh, the first one that I owned that was special to me was one was a Porsche nine forty four. Oh, cool! And um, uh, it had just come out. The nine twenty four was okay, wasn't? But the nine forty four with the flared fenders. And it just was a beautiful car. It was 1983. I had just gotten uh, um, this promotion uh, to publisher. I got a nice bonus. And I went down to the Porsche dealer and bought it brand new, $25,000. Wow. twenty-five grand It was a lot of money in 1983. Oh, yeah. And I blew it all on a, on a 944. Loved that car. I had an alarm, you know, a nice five-speed, beautiful car, uh, basket weaves, you know, And I kept that car for a couple of years, and then when I made the move to California, I drove it to California, and I got an offer from a guy who wanted it right then and there, and I sold it.
0: Well, then there it went. Well, the 944 was such a unique car when they came out. That 924, of course, was a bit anemic, you know, but it was uh, kind of fixed, it filled a niche there for Porsche. But the 944 definitely came up. And those have really come back as collectible cars these days. And they were super successful in the racing series where they ran those cars for years. Yeah. I mean, way more successful than most people remember.
1: They ran, uh, they ran turbos. In the Trans Am series.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, know. yeah. they were great. Yeah. They're very successful. Well, I'm going to get into your head a little bit here, Pete. If you woke up tomorrow and you were a vehicle, manifest as a vehicle, not really so much what you want to be, but how you perceive your personality as a vehicle, what would you be?
1: Uh, I would be uh, one of three. So, I've, you know, I'm a multi-personality kind of guy. But uh, the okay. first one would be a Series 1 Jag. Oh, and okay. the reason why is that it's sophisticated, which I kind of consider myself— but also unpredictable. Okay, yeah. <laughs> It'll stop and start on at any day, at any moment. So I'm kind of like that too. If there's days like that. The other one would be a 57 Chevy because I kind of consider myself having been born that year as an enduring classic. So that one, and the last one would be a 240Z. Predictable, oh, yeah. durable, And rising in value.
0: Okay, I like it. Some great answers to that question. Awesome. All right, well, we're going to enter the last lap. I'm going to ask you some questions, get some quick blips of that Z throttle or that Chevy throttle or the Jag throttle, whichever car is running that day. Uh, We'll kind of say it's maybe, I'd say maybe the Z or the Chevy over the Jag. I love Jaguars, but we know how they can be a little bit fickle. What's one of your personal habits, Pete, that you think has contributed to your successes in life over the years? Perseverance. Yeah, definitely. That helps a lot. Now, if I could arrange for you to have a drink or a meal with anyone in the automotive industry, living or deceased, who would that person be and why?
1: Okay, so I have two, uh, two. One would be Mark Donahue. Just really loved that man. Yeah. Uh, I had the pleasure of meeting his son, David. Oh, wow. Um, and that was certainly uh, an honor and a pleasure. But uh, I always followed Mark Donahue's career and just was ecstatic when he won the the Indy 500 and and devastated when he passed away, you know, in 73. So I would love to sit down with him and talk to him. The other people that I would like to have dinner with or a drink with would be Ford's WizKids. We're talking about Bob McNamara. We're talking about uh, uh, Tex Thornton, R.J. Miller, uh, Edward Lundy. All these guys went on to have uh, incredible careers. Some of them remained at Ford. Uh, and then, of course, McNamara went on to work for both Kennedy and LBJ yeah. uh, as de- uh, Secretary of Defense. But just an incredible bunch of guys who all came out of uh, World War II together. They were all Army officers, and they all came in mass. Ten men in mass came over and were hired by uh, uh, Henry the II uh, to work for him at Ford. That must have been uh, a, a group of people. That must have
0: been an incredible lunchroom there at Ford with those guys sitting there talking. Oh my gosh. How about when it comes to automotive advice someone else has ever offered you? What's the best thing you've heard?
1: You know, I worked for Steve Salim for a while. And, um, you know, Steve's got a lot of negativity surrounding him. But one of the things I did learn is that he was an incredible marketer. He really knew how to market things. We used to call him the Roger Penske of show stock But, his his focus was always on marketing, always on image. Image is everything, but it was always on precision and perception. Um, I'll give you a great story. Uh, we were at Portland, and uh, I got there early, and I worked. I was working for him, and we set up the motor, uh, the the big uh, tractor trailers, and they were kind of together, but we were parked a little bit on a hill, and so it was a little. Uh, we couldn't get them right together, and Steve came and saw me. Said, "You need to move those trailers." And we said, "Why?" And he said, "Because they don't look right together. The 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 awnings don't come out precisely." And long story short, we moved them and put them in other locations so that the, everything looked precise. And he yeah. taught me a valuable lesson, which was, you know, it's about image. You, you know, you come in there, you come in there, and the the trailers don't look exactly 100 percent or 110 percent, and it's perception. So you know, that's why all the rigs. You go to a racetrack, every rig is shined. Every wig looks beautiful. It's all about the show. Yeah. And so, yeah. uh, I mean, and what you put on for customers. And I learned a very valuable lesson. It's about what we do, what we offer our customers.
0: You know, it's, it reminds me of the lesson that um, McDonald's uh, Ray Kroc taught. He said, above and beyond everything, our bathrooms have to be impeccably clean all the time. Because when you walk into a bathroom in a restaurant, if there's if it's not clean, you start to wonder if the kitchen's not clean. Is my plate not clean? Is the food not clean? I don't want to be here eating. So that was one of the key things. And I think McDonald's were the first ones to start those uh, checkoff things. And they had them in the bathrooms, how every half hour their bathrooms were checked and cleaned so that people and, you know, to this day when people go on road trips. McDonald's is where they stop to use the bathroom, and while they're there, they might just buy some food.
1: So uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah, it, it's it's that trust level that's really important. Yeah, uh, it's appearance, it's it's perception. You know.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Now, how about resources? There's so many great resources for us these days. Is there one in particular that's a go-to for
1: you you'd like to share? Well, you mentioned him earlier, and uh, the one of the best resources to me is Peter Brock.
0: Yeah, great
1: guy. Peter Brock is an icon. It has been a personal honor for me to get to know him a little bit better during the writing of this book. Mm-hmm. Um, he's been very gracious to me. Uh, he's posted pictures of him uh, with the book on his website, and, and and I really appreciate that. But, you know, he's just done so much, not only for Nissan, but for the automotive industry. And look at his AeroVault trailers. I mean, he's just what an incredible genius he is, and I think he's an inspiration for many people because at his age, he's still out there signing autographs, meeting people, has no hesitation to do that, uh, doing well. I hope he lives for another 100 years because <laughs> uh, he's just such a, a, a great symbol of our industry. He really so is. I, I take him as, as one, um, and then the other one we, we talked about, uh, Randy Nonnenberg. I mean, look at what he's done with Bring a Trailer. And uh, what a great uh, tool that is. And, and I think a lot of people look at that every day. I've sold a couple cars on there. And so it's become a, a nice community uh, for people.
0: I've had Randy on the show a few times. I always tell him, you're, you're, you've are you're you eaten up a lot of my life, buddy, Uh, looking at cars <laughs> I didn't even know I wanted to buy. No kidding. Yeah, and kudos to him for uh, selling that brand to Hearst. I sure hope they don't blow it Uh, and mess it up. We'll cost, keep our fingers crossed. And yep. of course, Peter's become a good personal friend. I've known him for a long time. He used to live up here in the Pacific Northwest. Right, yeah, right. I remember that. He and Gail, and uh, he's been a guest on the show here many times. And it's interesting. People should go back if they miss my talks with Peter. Listen to him because he's been involved in some very unique things, including hang gliding business, where he set world records with his hang gliding design. So yeah, talk about genius. Definitely, he's one of those guys that we hope we have around for a long time.
1: I mean, he started that sport. Yeah, in the seventies. Oh, I know. So he's yeah, really, really uh, a prominent uh, a force in that industry. Yes, and I it's
0: agree. so interesting. You know, I used to talk about surfing at Blacks Beach. I used to sit out there in the waves and watch the hang gliders along the cliffs at Blacks uh, in San Diego uh, sailing back and forth, back and forth. It's something I never really did, but I'd go up there and watch them do that uh, from time to time and think, man, that must be pretty cool. And little did I know, I was probably watching many of Peach Designs back then when I was a kid. Well, I always ask my guests to share a book. And of course, the book that you've written here, actually both books I'm going to put uh, listed on Pete's show notes page. Uh, The current one, Nissan, 50 Years of Exhilarating Performance. You need to have both of these in your automotive library. I do. They're awesome books. You're going to be really happy with that. And I'll put links to how you can buy them. Uh, Is there another book that maybe is written by someone else you might want to share today?
1: I would say anything by Peter Egan. Ah, uh, yeah. Uh, I miss him. I miss reading his uh, columns and bone track. I mean, wonderful writer. Uh, Matt Stone is another favorite of mine. Yep. Uh, I just love all of his works. I'm a big Steve McQueen fan, and he's certainly become the um, historian for the McQueen estate or the the whole family and has done a great job there. So both of those are great reads. Uh, you know, they're just, you know, and, and Matt was with, I believe he's still with Motor Trend. And he's, yeah. You know, written. You know, just thousands of stories over. I was reading him before I really got involved in in motorsports. So those two gentlemen are, are favorites of mine.
0: Matt's been a guest on the show here. Peter, I think my first book I bought of his was Leaning. Leaning's, yeah. I think it was
1: called. Yeah. Leaning's, yeah, I yeah. remember
0: that. And uh, I was just uh, last night, night before last, looking at a new book about uh, Steve McQueen by Matt Stone. So uh, both great books. I'll make sure I put those listed on Peter's show notes page. All right, Pete, we are up to the checkered flag. And this last question can be a bit of a doozy. I'm going to buy you a collector car today something fun. But there's some rules to this game that might make your answer alter a little bit. One is you can't sell it to buy a bunch of other cars with. That little trick's off the table. So whatever you pick needs to tick a lot of boxes and you got to keep it. Uh, But here's the kicker. It's the only one collector car you can have in your garage. So you need to choose very wisely. So what am I buying you today, Pete?
1: Uh, You're buying me a Ferrari Dino.
0: Oh, okay. Well, I'd be happy to do that. One of my favorite Ferraris, even though Enzo didn't like calling it a Ferrari, he called it a Dino. But so aside from their beauty, in fact, that's the first Ferrari I'll say I ever drove was a Dino. Uh, back when I was a kid and I was detailing cars, a client of mine had one and he was nice enough to let me ride or drive that car back from his house down. Uh, I think he was living down actually in Bird Rock, uh, in La Jolla. And then I would ride my bike down there and then drive that back to my house the long way. I always went over, over Soledad mountain and downhill side driving back around. What is it about the Dino you love so much?
1: I just love that curved window in the back. That's probably irreplaceable. I mean, uh, boy, you don't want to get that punched out because that's going to be hard to find. But I just love the way it looks. I love the the headlights. Just the just the the the, the, the compactness of the car. You know, I realize that it. It never really had the Ferrari name on to it, and uh, you know I kick—I'm kicking myself because the car was at one time maybe sixty thousand yeah. dollars or less, and now it's triple or quadruple. No, it's probably even more than that. Yeah, yeah, six times that. Yeah, um, and so. You know, it is what it is. It's just a classic car. I just love that era uh, of uh, of uh, design and, and, and just um, just a nice car.
0: They're so beautiful. And driving them, those big fenders bulging out in front of you. I mean, I just remember as a kid, it was like driving a go-kart almost. And, you know, that, that engine wasn't super powerful, 2.4, but it had enough oomph for that little car. Very simple cars, pretty basic cars. Not really built that well, but... Oh my gosh, they're sexy. They look good. Now, they came in a lot of really, really unique colors. In fact, many of those colors remind me a lot of the Z colors yep, they came exactly. out. So, that I get you the right car here today, Pete, what color would you like that Dino to be?
1: Boy, either yellow or maybe the blue.
0: Oh, yeah, two gray colors. Well, you know, they came in that beautiful yellow, fly yellow, that Por- Porsche, and they had a signal yellow uh, that Ferrari did that was so magnificent, so I'll see what I can do about that. Yeah, some of the colors that those cars came in were just stunning uh, and very and, cool and, for the period.
1: And if you're being really uh, um, generous today, uh, uh, you could throw them in a Porsche 917.
0: Oh, I could. Oh, well, wow. Okay, well, you know, if I buy you two cars Uh, Two cars, Pete. I gotta buy. Go back and buy a lot
1: of cars for a lot of people. Okay, so I'll stick with the
0: Dino. Yeah, I think you look pretty good in that thing. I think that'd be pretty fun. Well, Pete, you've taken me on a fun ride today. This has been great to get to know you better. I want to thank you for sharing your story. A big shout out to Steve Roth at Motorbooks. He sent me so many great authors of their books. So thank you, Steve, for connecting me with Pete today. Now, before I let you go, could you offer our listeners one little parting piece of? wisdom or guidance from the professor's mouth before you rip off down the coast highway in that ferrari dino
1: expand your network uh do as much as you can to build that up don't burn a bridge you know uh, uh, keep your head high don't procrastinate do what you want to do make sure you get it done you know mark i'm so glad to have met you and now i hope that you and i can uh, continue to network and and speak at, at times and i really appreciate your time today And and for featuring me and and featuring my book, Uh, I'm very appreciative. Uh, It's really important that we, you know, everybody helps each other. And so thank you for this. And, and, um, you know, it's uh, I'm living the dream. So this is uh, I'm doing exactly what I want to do. I love teaching and I love writing. So this is really important to me.
0: You figured out the secret sauce to life, just like my uh, past 1,670 other inspiring automotive enthusiasts here at Car Chat, where you can find all their shows archived here, of course, or on your favorite mobile podcast app. Now, if people want to keep up with you, Pete, what's the best way for them to do that? Oh,
1: uh, boy. Um, are, you, are you
0: active on social media? Are you out there very much or are you kind of a private guy?
1: Yeah, I probably should be more active on social media. I I, I don't really have an Instagram page, but uh, <laughs> you know what? I you have inspired me to probably create one. So, okay, there you go. Uh, I'll, I'll I'll put that together. You know, every author should have a a foundation, so to speak, and so. It's probably time for me to do that, and I I'll, I'll, I'm I'm going to I'm, I'm going to give you credit for that, and I'm going to start it up today. All right,
0: well, good. Well, he'll let me know that, listeners. I'll make sure I put a link to that, so you can all go there and follow him. So we can have some instant gratification from people that are paying attention to him on Instagram, which is always fun. We all like to have some people pay attention to us. You can find everything on Pete notes page on the Carjout website. Just go there, type in Pete last name E V A N O w and you'll find him there on the Car yeah website hey Pete! thanks for being so generous today with your time and your expertise and your enthusiasm love your new book and your old book until you and i talk again my friend i'll see you down the road take care thank you thank you let's take a pit stop from the conversation and talk about my charity of choice here at Car yeah, america's automotive trust America's Automotive Trust is a group of like-minded nonprofits working together to preserve and promote car culture across the country. Together, they provide scholarships and grants to aspiring technicians and restoration artists. They provide youth education programs and bring communities together through auto-related events, car shows, and drives. One of those nonprofits is very near and dear to my heart because it's right down the road from the Cars Yeah! headquarters. It's the LeMay America's Car Museum in Tacoma, Washington. One of the world's truly great automobile collections and one of those must-see bucket list destinations for car people like you and me. If you haven't seen it, I hope you'll make a trip soon. And if you have seen it, it's probably time to visit again. To learn more about this fantastic museum, go to www.americascarmuseum.org and while you're there, you can donate to help them keep their engines running. That's www.americascarmuseum.org. If you're like me, investments, insurance, annuities, budgeting, and other financial concepts may seem a bit daunting, but what if I told you there's a book that describes these subjects and more in an easy-to-read and a very humorous way? My friend Chris Kimball, CFP, a longtime sponsor and past guest here on Cars has written that book, and it's titled The Saga of Ike and Penny, A Couple's Humorous Journey Through the Confusing World of Finance. It's a fun look at things you need to know, everything from investing to effective ways to get Get rid of credit card debt, and it's probably the only book on finance with a VMAX on the front cover and a classic Mini Cooper on the back. The book's available at Amazon for just $10, and this book will dramatically improve the direction of your financial future. I gave copies to each of my children. All securities are through Money Concepts Capital Corp. Christopher Kimball Financial Services is not affiliated with Money Concepts Capital Corp. Get your copy, The Saga of Ike and Penny, today.